Well, good morning. Welcome to Christ Redeemer. It's been a tough year um, as far as gathering goes with a pandemic and two building changes and now even this week not being able to meet in person together. And it's okay to grieve that. Um, I'm grieving that with y'all. But the Lord in His mercy has allowed for us to even gather through creative means. So while we grieve, we are also grieving not without hope. As the scriptures say. Today we are going to continue our exploration into the Ten Commandments. We're going to be looking at the fifth commandment today, which is a command that on the surface sounds pretty simple, maybe easily applicable, and even quick to dismiss. It's a one-sentence verse that many of us probably heard as children, and us, many of us as parents, probably preach to our children often. The temptation for us would be to make this sermon directed only towards children and how they relate to their parents. While that is by no means something that we won't apply, I'm also reminded of Jesus' words in the Gospels where he calls us all to become like little children in order to inherit the kingdom of heaven. So as we enter into the fortress of God's glorious word, we need to heed the instruction of St. Augustine as he tells us to enter in through the low gate, to enter into God's word with humility, and to see how we might be able to apply this in all phases of life. So I'm going to read for us the scripture, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, and let's consider this together. It says, Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord is giving you. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we're able to hear from your word, even though we were not hearing it all in the same physical location. We ask that by your spirit, you would continue to minister to us the mercies of your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you've ever had a manipulative parent, an abusive boss, or a narcissistic authority figure, You might understand how Israel is feeling at this point in the book of Exodus. They have just left the oppressive grip of Pharaoh in Egypt, and they still bear the wounds of his misuse of power. And many of us have had this experience, so understandably, us, like Israel, would be skeptical of trusting any other authority figure again. The temptation for Israel in the wilderness at this point would be to become a group of self-reliant individuals, trusting no one but themselves to call the shots in their life. Many of us know that temptation well, and so we can identify with them with the harsh reality that God gives them this fifth commandment. That When he gives them the fifth commandment to honor their father and mother, he's saying that you are not free from your oppressors to be an independent person, to call your own shots in life. He's actually freeing us from our oppressors and redeeming the authority structures in our life so that we can flourish in the midst of a new kind of community. I heard a pastor recently say that the fifth commandment is one of the ones that is most easily ignored by most Christians. Many of us, including myself, look at it and say, well, you don't know my parents' situation. Or, I'm grown up now, and I'm kind of out of my parents' household. Or perhaps your parents have even passed away, and you think, at least I can skip over this one. 
It's easy for us to narrow the scope of this commandment so that we can exempt ourselves from its deep and applicable implications. While this command is not less, not less than anything about parent and child relationships, it's also about so much more. It has to do with how we relate to the God-ordained authorities that he places in our lives and how he structures our community and in what it means to honor them. This can be a complex and hard topic to talk about for many of us, so I've outlined it with three points, being understanding authority, showing honor, and enjoying blessing. So let's first look at understanding authority. The command starts off with this word honor. The Hebrew word honor here is kavod or kabod. The literal meaning of this word means to give weight to, to give significance to, to render what is due. It's the same word that the prophet Isaiah talks about as he describes God in this famous chapter of Isaiah chapter 6, where he says the Lord's glory, his kavod, his weightiness fills the temple and actually the whole earth. God's significance, his heaviness is so big that it covers the entire creation. In a narrow application, this command is inviting us to give significance, to give weight and respect to our parents. But implicit in this command is that God has designed us to treat seriously, to give weight to, to render what is due, and to honor the particular authority structures that He has ordained over us in all avenues of community. We see in the New Testament and even in the old, that parental relationships are not the only relationship of authority that we see in the Bible. The New Testament talks about in Ephesians 5 and 6, wives submitting to husbands, bondservants to masters, and children to parents. 1 Peter 2 and Romans 13 talk about our role as citizens and our civic duty to submit to the governmental authorities. 1 Timothy 3 talks about elders and deacons having an authoritative oversight of the church and how the church is called to submit to their leadership. One of the reasons that God gives this command is because in sin, He knows that we don't like authority. If you think back to the Garden of Eden, the first sin that Adam and Eve committed was the usurping of the natural authority that was baked into the created order. They wanted to be like God instead of, instead of being under God's rule. And ever since the fall, that same spirit of trying to usurp authority, to be self-reliant, to be an independent individual, is also at work in us. Just think about us. As children, many of us do currently or did think that our parents were out of touch, that they were too strict or overbearing, and that we didn't need to listen to them. My generation, millennials, has this funny way of dismissing anything an elderly person says these days by just calling them a boomer, which is just a translation for, I don't think anything they have to say is valuable. As employees, we tend to never like the boss. As church members, the leadership is always the problem. In some, as sinners, we naturally don't like authority over us. We don't want it. We don't trust it. And it's always the problem. If we could just be our own boss, whether it's in the family or in our job or in our church, then things would run well, right? But God is here in this commandment telling us to, to honor our father and mother and all the authorities that he has placed over us. 
And my question, and perhaps yours, is why is God concerned about what we think about our parents, our bosses, and our church leaders? If we're fully devoted in our spiritual lives to worshiping Him, what does it matter what I think about them? What does it matter how I act towards them? And this isn't an easy question to answer because these relationships can be complex. They can be hard to navigate. Just think about Israel. They had a story of abuse. The authority that Pharaoh had over them was used to dehumanize them, to manipulate and abuse them. And we have those same stories where bosses have perhaps mistreated us or even said things that were inappropriate to us or even in darker times where a parent or a relative that had authority over us emotionally or even physically abused us. And perhaps this verse was even used in the process to try to get your submission, to try to get you to obey. This commandment can seem harsh. It can seem like a license for people in authority to abuse. And is God asking us to honor these people by bowing to their demands, by cowering under their authority? We'll come back to this later, but the point I want to make here is that just because authority in our relationships is often misused doesn't render the concept of authority completely useless. Authority properly structured in community can actually be an avenue for us to experience true freedom and true blessing in the midst of a community. I've noticed this as a new parent, and before I say anything, I just want to say that Chris and I don't think we've cornered the market on parenting. I know there's all sorts of different philosophies out there, but we had a strict sleeping schedule for John when he was a newborn. We exercised that authority over him. We put him down against his will often, uh, and we told him to go to bed, and we would leave him in there as he learned what it meant to go to bed at these certain times. And though he fought it at first, it actually ended up being a blessing for him. He would sleep longer, he would eat better once he got up, and he had more energy throughout the day. When authority is properly exercised, it allows us to flourish. And in the same way as we exercise authority over John when he was a newborn, God has designed society, even before the fall, to operate with certain authority structures in place so that the whole community can flourish, not so that one can dominate the other. As God redeemed Israel from, from Egypt, from the grips of Pharaoh, he was also redeeming their idea of authority. The temptation for them being out of Pharaoh's yoke was to overcorrect, to throw off all yokes, and to be their own boss. And yet what God is saying to them in the fifth commandment is, you actually need a yoke. Not that repressive and dehumanizing yoke of Pharaoh, but that doesn't mean you don't need authority. Authority properly exercised is actually a good thing, and it's how God intended the world to relate to one another. As Christian psychologist Diane Langberg says, that God gave human beings power so that, they can, so that they might reflect his character in the world together. Proper authority is a good thing. So let's come back to what it means to show honor. What does it mean to honor our authority figures? That's our second point is showing honor. Now, as we seek to understand what it means to apply this commandment, 
we need to make an important distinction. If you notice, this commandment can actually mirror the first commandment in many ways, that you shall not have any gods, uh, other gods before you're the one true God, can actually look a lot like honoring your father and mother because both of them are about how to properly place authority over ourselves. But the distinction is, is that we are in no way called to honor our parents, our bosses, or even our church leaders and elected officials to the same degree that we're called to honor and worship God. That's not what God is saying here in the fifth commandment. God is holy. In his divine perfection, not only deserves our worship, but it merits it. We are, we are, our worship is due to him. That's not the same for our earthly authorities. Our earthly authorities, whether our parents or our bosses or our elected officials, are sinful and fallen individuals. That, that sometimes means that they don't merit our complete submission or our full um, honor or our full obedience. So there's nuance to this question about what does it look like to honor the proper authority figures in our life. So I want to note two things about what it means to show honor. First is honor is about a posture of the heart and not always about outward obedience. Honor is about a posture of the heart and not always about outward obedience. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reveals to us that our adherence to the Ten Commandments are ultimately not an issue of our performance, but a reflection of what's already in our hearts. For instance, when he talks about the Sixth Commandment in Matthew chapter 5, he says, You've heard it said you shall not murder. But what I say is that whoever is angry with their brother is also subject to judgment. He's saying, look, adherence to the commandments is more about what's in you and not about how you act out here. In the same way, to honor your father and mother isn't about simply doing what they say. It's not just about your acts of obedience. It means that as you heed their instruction, as you contemplate obedience, the posture of your heart is one of respect, humility, love, and not disdain and cynicism and rebellion. You can actually rebel by doing what they say because your heart is in the wrong place. We see an example of this in Acts chapter 5 where Peter and the apostles do what's called civil, they execute what's called civil disobedience. They don't do what the government authorities say. The government has arrested them and told them explicitly to stop proclaiming the name of Jesus. But in verse 29 of Acts chapter 5, Peter says this in response. He says, we must obey God rather than man. And what Peter is saying here is that while I respect you, while I honor you with my heart, what I know in my heart is that in order to experience true love, you don't need me to obey and stop proclaiming the name of Jesus. I'm loving you by continually proclaiming the name of Jesus, even against your wishes. This helps us with what it means to honor as we differentiate it, if, as we differentiate it from just blind and full obedience. Because there might be situations in our life where the authorities over us are wrong, have bad intentions that are contrary to the gospel or even abusive and harmful to us. And, obeying, or, and honoring them doesn't mean 
obeying them outwardly. It means that even if you go against their will, that the posture of your heart towards them is not malicious, vengeful, or vindictive, that it's one of humility, love, and conviction, where your commitment is to love God and also to love them even in the way you obey or obey or disobey. You can actually love someone that has power over you by not doing what they say. But again, this is nuanced. We have to examine our hearts before this. And we have to consider that the posture of our hearts might be trying to usurp authority to dishonor it instead of obeying it. The second thing about showing honor is that honoring our earthly authorities is part of our worship of God. In Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 13, there's this instance where Jesus takes issue with the Pharisees for a convenient way that they've ignored the fifth commandment. It has to do with this cultural practice called Corbin. A Corbin was a tithe given to the temple that was reserved strictly for the use of worship, and it couldn't be used for any other task. And what Jesus was taking issue with the Pharisees was that they were observing Corbin, they were giving their tithes to the temple, but at the same time, many of them were ignoring the needs of their elderly and ailing parents. And Jesus condemns this practice. And he says that you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your position. We see here that Jesus doesn't draw a line between our ethics in society and our worship of God. He says our ethics, how we treat one another, actually have to do with our worship of God. In regards to the fifth commandment, it means that rejecting the physical, emotional, or financial needs of your elderly and ailing parents, while trying to maintain a vibrant worship life, is actually an impossibility. If we're harnessing resentment against a spouse, if we're trying to usurp a leader by going behind their back, if we're gossiping about the different authorities in our life, or if we're trying to overthrow a government official through unholy means, that actually impacts our relationship with our God. Because our worship is also, also goes hand in hand with our ethics. So showing honor is about a posture of the heart, and it's also a part of our worship. But the command doesn't end there, which brings us to our last point, enjoying blessing. As you notice, an interesting part of the fifth commandment is that it's the only commandment that has a blessing attached to it. Look back at the fifth commandment with me. It says, Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the, that the Lord is giving you. While this is unique to the, the commands, it mirrors a lot of the wisdom literature, specifically in the Proverbs, where instruction is all, all, oftentimes attached with a blessing on the end of it. For instance, Proverbs 3, verse 1 and 2 says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for the length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. There are many different opinions on why this blessing is added at the end of it. But what I think, uh, and in my opinion, is that God knows the fifth commandment is one of the hardest for us to keep. And he wants to give us an incentive of sorts, a vision into a life of blessing that follows from observing it, from submitting 
in honoring the authority figures in our life. For Israel, I've mentioned that they were gun-shy in regards to the different authorities that God was placed, trying to redeem in their community because they were still bearing the scars of abuse. And in my opinion, God attaches this blessing in order to show them that this command is not given like one of Pharaoh's demands. God's saying to Israel, look, this isn't Egypt. I'm not Pharaoh. When I give commands, they're not the same as Pharaoh's demands. Pharaoh's demands were meant to shorten your life, to dehumanize you, to abuse you, manipulate you, and ultimately kill you. When I give commands, when I give an invitation to follow my way of life, it's for your good. It's a blessing. It's not a curse. Enjoying the blessing of living faithfully within the authoritative relationships we find ourselves might not literally make us live longer. But in the Old Testament, long life is often a metaphor and a synonym of good life. A life that is whole, it has integrity, it's being well lived. And what God is saying at the end of this commandment is that the good life is not found in being your own authority, being self-reliant in an individual. It's actually found in finding your faithful role within the context of a well-ordered community. It means to live and to learn how to honor those who are above you. But I also don't want to end this sermon without mentioning the responsibility of those who are in authority. Whether you're a parent, a boss, an older sibling, or even a leader in the church, before we ever, to, before we ever expect to receive honor from those whom we have power over, we must first reflect on the nature of the, of the power that we have in the first place. We're reminded in the Bible that any power that we have is derivative, means, meaning it comes from God. If you look at the Great Commission, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples. What he's saying there is, look, the only reason you have any authority in life, and in, even in your communities and even in your family, is because I have that authority, and I'm giving it to you to steward. We cannot expect or demand honor from those beneath us if we ourselves are not honoring and stewarding the power that God has given us in a way that is faithful, in a way that models God's character and how He uses His authority. As we seek to apply the command as both inferiors, those who are under power, and superiors, those who have power, I want to direct us to an amazing chapter, our amazing piece of scripture that we see in the book of John in chapter 19. It's the scene where Jesus is suspended on the cross on the verge of death. Out of his side is already spilling blood and water, and he's taking his last physical breath. And at the same time, he's also starting to take on the sins of the entire world. Yet in verse 26 and 27, we get a stunning, stunning view of the heart of Christ, where his mind and where his will and where his heart lies in the midst of this very agony. John chapter 19, verse 26 and 27 says this, When Jesus saw his mother 
And the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. I want to let that sit for a second. Of all the personal concerns that Jesus could have in his last breaths of life, and even spiritually as he considers what is about to happen to him, as he takes on the wrath of God, his chief concern was fulfilling the fifth commandment. He wanted to honor his mother as her son to make sure that she was taken care of after he passed away. So he gave her to one of the disciples, to John, so that she could be provided for. That's what it looks like as an inferior to honor and to show respect and love to those who are above us. But there's also another side of the coin. Because Jesus isn't just Mary's son. He's Mary's Lord. He is, in a very real sense, her supreme authority. And while he was simultaneously honoring her, he was also taking on her sins, bearing her burden, her guilt, her shame, so that she could be a daughter of God. That's the way Jesus stewarded his power. That's the way Jesus showed how to use authority and what it means to steward it in the world. There is no clearer and more beautiful picture of the fifth commandment than this. That in Jesus' humility, he shows us the beauty of what it looks like to honor your father and mother. But in his authority, he gives us a picture of how God intends for authority to be used. And the good news is that on that same cross, the very moment where Christ was both honoring and serving his mother as her son and her Lord, he was also taking our sins upon himself. All our misuses of power, all of the ways as, as inferiors that we have tried to usurp the authority structures in our life to go behind their back and to be a self-reliant individual. He takes that upon himself and he gives us his Holy Spirit to redeem our idea of what it means to live in his world. We're living in community is not a burden, where it's not survival of the fittest, that power just means an opportunity to abuse and use, and that being out of power means that you have no power to do anything. We all, as God redeems us through His Spirit in the, mid in the midst of community, have a particular role. And we're invited not out of obligation, not out of some authoritative, demeaning demand that God gives. We're invited by this same Jesus whose heart is for our good and intends to bless us as we follow him. Not Pharaoh who wants to oppress. We're invited by this God who loves us and cares for us to live in the midst of community here on earth as we prepare for heaven by modeling his character in the world. And we do it not by our own strength, but by, his, but by His Spirit, 
who lives and moves and works among us, all by his grace. This is our invitation today as we consider the fifth commandment, to consider where we're at, um, to consider the ways in which we are inferiors and are called to show honor to our superiors, but also we as superiors, those with power, are called to steward that power for the good and blessing of others. As we learn more and more together what it means to be loved by Jesus in this way he shows us on the cross. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your love, your love that will not let us go, your love that on the cross crucified our self-reliance and redeems our idea of what it means to live faithfully on this earth, that our relationship with you is not just about me and Jesus, but it's about us and Jesus. So Lord, as we try to order our community, our church specifically, as we try to find a building, as we continue to grow and try to model your spirit, Lord, would you conform us by your love? Would you captivate us by the beauty of the cross? And would you empower us by your spirit to rejoice in you, to enjoy you, and to also model you in this world? And it's in your matchless name we pray.